Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take for Sunday, October 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Blois Olson. It has been a wild week for Minnesota politics, especially those of us who watch the inside game. From Dean Phillips leaving his leadership position to Tom Emmer running for a new one, which Donald Trump has weighed into. And one of the races we're watching closely this year is in the Zenith City, Duluth. The race for mayor there is competitive for the first time in quite a while. And we're going to talk to both candidates. But one of the reasons why I chose to talk about the Duluth race this week is because there's emerging some bellwethers in a midterm that was supposed to be quiet. A couple of weeks ago, we focused on the school board races. There could be some signs there of the mood of voters. And you look at a race that we'll talk more about in the coming weeks in the special election in Hennepin County, where this week, former state representative Dario Anselmo jumped in. And that race could become a little bellwether of crime and issues in the suburbs, suburbs that have not been good to Donald Trump, but DFLers shouldn't necessarily take for granted. But as we think about Duluth, we think about a city that many Minnesotans love. And I think of a city that's evolved over the years from industry and middle class jobs to now tourism and lifestyle jobs. So we'll talk to Roger Reiner. We'll talk to Mayor Emily Larson, because I think the mood of Duluth could set the mood for other urban races throughout the state, throughout the country. And whether or not there's a difference between two Democrats, one a little more liberal, one a little more moderate, and if they can parse those things out as voters in Duluth. Before we get to the Roger Reinen interview, though, here's a message from Minnesota Corn. You know, look, harvest is coming in. It's getting chilly this weekend. We've got fall baseball and football. And throughout Minnesota, it's Minnesota corn growers who are making sure that we can feed and fuel the future and that we can do it in a sustainable way. Whether it's their investments in cleaner fuels, their investments in better food, or things like innovations in polymers and investments at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota corn growers are focused on the future because the family farm 
has to see a future. And the only way it's going to do that is innovation, more production, better use of the environment. It's Minnesota corn growers and family farmers that focus on that water. That water that they want clean is right next to them. It's their community. And if we know one thing about community is that in Minnesota, we take care of our own. And that's what Minnesota corn growers do every day. And now they've used that over years and decades to take care of all of us. Whether it's the biofuels that they've innovated on or how they've made corn more resilient to the swings in climate and other threats. We have to thank our family farmers because they think about the future every day while we go about our lives and appreciate their work. That's a message from Minnesota Corn, and that's the Sustainability Minute. When we come back, Duluth candidate for mayor, Roger Reiner. I'm Blois Olson on News Talk 830 WCCO. My first guest this week is Roger Reiner. He's a former state lawmaker. He's a candidate for mayor of Duluth. Uh, in a race that, as I talked about in the open, people are watching. And Duluth is this, you know, call it the city on the hill, call it the, this great place up north. But I think if you've been to Duluth or you follow Duluth, you you know that how kind of critical the state is, uh, the city is to the state's economy, um, how the mood of the city has changed in in many ways over the last few years or decade. Um, and I find it fascinating and I get a lot of questions about the race for mayor. So, Roger, thanks for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, just talk about, let's just start, you know, um, Mayor Larson has, you know, been mayor for a couple terms, uh, generally popular, seen as a rising DFL uh, star. Why challenge her? What what did you hear, see? Uh, what issues are out there that made you decide to challenge her? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, obviously people always ask kind of the why. And, you know, it really began with, with people asking me. I, I'd gone through really three really challenging years. I did a combat deployment in Afghanistan, was home long enough for life to really implode, like it does for a lot of veterans. I uh, went overseas again at the start of the COVID pandemic, um, was in Italy for the first three and a half months of the pandemic, and then came home and uh, provided some leadership at our convention center just to help keep it alive during the darkest days. And it's kind of during the end of that that people started saying things like, you know, you probably never would, but I wish you'd think about, you know, uh, I think you've got the right skill set to meet the times, but I'm sure you're going to say no. And, you know, honestly, um, they were right. Like, I I was not interested. Um, and then the more of those conversations that took place, the more I realized that the things they were talking about were the things that I also was concerned about as a citizen, just paying attention to core city services, the real um ground level work of local government. And, you know, the thing that really um, drew me in was when I realized we hadn't had a meaningful race since 07. Uh, it was the last time we had over 50% voter turnout. Uh, four years ago, it was 38. Almost two thirds of Duluthians didn't even vote in the mayoral election four years ago. And I always say that's in Duluth where we have record voter turnout in Minnesota, where we have record voter turnout so it just said to me that a meaningful, we were overdue for that com conversation that a meaningful race gives you. And what are the issues? I mean, you talk about a meaningful race, but yep. 
obviously I, I recognize housing downtown revitalization, which is an issue in many cities, um, business versus tourism. What, what are the issues that you think are, you know, driving the conversation and, um, and frankly, creating, you know, a, an alternative choice for voters? Yeah. I mean, it really is core city services, streets, utilities, public safety. Um, they need to be effective and efficient. And honestly, the big issue is that at a level that we can both uh, afford and sustain. So, you know, in the campaign, we've talked about the five big issues, and there really hasn't been any debate that those are the wrong issues. And it's been housing across all income levels, um, growing our commercial tax base, which is perpetually a challenge in Duluth. Um, streets, I would say that's all caps with exclamation marks, <laughs> as you mentioned, and then affordable property taxes. When you look at taxes in particular, um, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Rochester, Mankato, many of the cities are dealing with, you know, a, a need for more revenue to pay for infrastructure. And obviously one of the places to do that is property taxes. How has Duluth changed in maybe the mix of property taxes between residential, commercial, industrial? Because that is one of the issues that I know, um, not just today, but kind of forecasting out people are concerned about. Sure. You know, it really is a critical issue for us. We have an older than average population. We have an older housing stock than average. And we now have folks, whether they're retired, whether they're um, veterans, whether they're um, disabled on fixed incomes that are really struggling to maintain that property tax burden. And in the last eight years, you know, your property taxes are city, county and school district, but the city portion the mill rate, the levy rate has doubled. And then with valuation for more people, it's it's more than doubled. And so that's a real challenge. And for us, another challenge is we just have a reputation as a difficult place to do business. You know, and as you know, in Minnesota, commercial pays more than residential. So when you're not growing that commercial tax base, the burden shifts to residential. You know, and, and we saw that last year, we had a proposed 9% property tax increase that got whittled down to 7.9, but it's just been a, a it's it's been a struggle. And so we have to proactively grow our commercial so that we can relieve some of that pressure on the residential and still have the revenue necessary to do those new services. And the other thing I would say is all regional centers in Minnesota grew by an average of about 10% in population in the last decade. And Duluth grew by 400 people, 0.05%. And so that's the other thing that we have to be serious about, you know, growing a population is not just about a community that feels like it's thriving, feels like it's dynamic and feels like it's moving forward. But when we once had over 100,000 people and we're now at 87, it's also about adding more people back into the mix to help support that existing infrastructure. My guest is Roger Reinhardt. He's a candidate for mayor of Duluth. We're talking about the issues that are out there. Roger, you raise up population. And, you know, frankly, I didn't realize that. I think that's something that maybe people outside of Duluth aren't aware of that you can amplify because my sense has been that, quote, Duluth has been growing. My observation is somebody who's there four to seven times a year uh, was that it was getting younger, that it was shifted more towards the tourism economy. And and so for me, I thought, oh, it's getting younger, quote, hipper cooler, but the idea that you're not growing population 
does create kind of future issues. Is there, is there a, anything you can do to really attract population? Frankly, that's a statewide issue. I think it's going to continue to be demographics. Demographics is the big driver, but then you start to look at lifestyle, job opportunities, educational opportunities that keep people in place for a while. Yeah. You know, and I think that this, the, um, the thing that you're identifying there is the region has grown. So uh, our neighboring communities have grown from seven to 11%. And of course, those people eat, recreate, shop, are present in Duluth as a regional center, especially in places like Canal Park and the, and the Lincoln Park Craft District. One of the challenges that we have faced is we're just not adding new housing stock. Uh, and that means that people don't have the options to purchase a home in Duluth. So when we talk about housing, we talk about housing across all income levels. In the city of Duluth, the housing market is really stuck in the mid-market because we're just not building homes. And so that's driving existing housing, the cost of existing housing stock up. You subtract some for rentals, you subtract a significant number for vacation rentals. And all of a sudden, people are coming to the region, but they're buying in Hermantown, they're buying in Esco, yeah. uh, or over in, in Superior. So we are, our city population stays stagnant while the, the region tends to be moving on, on an upwards uh, path. You know, we're about a you know month away from the election. Um, what's the vibe? What's the mood? Obviously, you know, you, I think to many people, you surprised a lot of people and maybe overperformed a little in the primary. And that's what really put the race on the map. Um, if somebody came to Duluth, would they see signs? Would they see hear radio? What's, what's the feeling of the campaign? Yeah. So, you know, what we get from one end of town to the other is people saying it's just time for something different. Um, and they connect that to a number of different things. Um, but it really does come down to, and I like, you know, I'm a civics teacher at heart. I like to talk about this sense that we're eroding trust with our residents while they've seen those property taxes double or more than double in the last eight years. They feel like for city services, streets, utilities, public safety have actually degraded. And so, you know, they're questioning city priorities, they're questioning the things that we're working on. Um, and so that's where you get this, this comment that it's time for something different. And I would just go back to that comment about the, the primary, you know, the two big takeaways from that were number one, we doubled voter turnout um, from four years ago, which was really encouraging, especially in a primary. We all know that that's not usually high voter turnout. And number two, the, where we did well, we won 30 out of 35 precincts, exactly mirrored our yard signs because we've not chosen to do party endorsements. We've not chosen just the whole field of personal and other uh, organizational endorsements. Individuals ask for signs. So we now have almost 2,500 yard signs out in the community, and we just crossed 1,000 donors, of which uh, over 90% are from Duluth in the immediate area. Got it. Um as you look to these last few weeks, kind of the closing argument, what what are you going to say at the doors? What are you going to say at you know on Main Street? What are you going to say to people uh, if they're undecided? Yeah, I mean, it really is uh, pretty straightforward. I and mean, if you think Duluth is on the right track, vote for a third term. Um, but if you have concerns, if you expect more as a resident, uh, and you believe that we can do better, 
for the first time in almost 20 years, we've got a qualified, capable alternative. And that really is resonating with people. And that, I mean, that's that's why I'm running, uh, why I'm in the race uh, and um, ready to step in uh, when if Duluthians ask me to serve. Roger, we'll be watching the race closely in the newsletter and on this program. And I thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. When we come back, we're going to talk to Mayor Emily Larson about why she thinks she deserves a third term. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Our next guest on Sunday Take is Mayor Emily Larson. She's been the mayor of Duluth for two terms. She's seeking her third term. She joins me now. Mayor Larson, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Well, happy um, to be here. You know, those you always have a a fun sense of humor about uh, the way in which (laughs) folks in the Twin Cities think of themselves. So I'll just kick it off with those of us in the cities are watching (laughs) this mayoral race. And I've been Mm -hmm. in Duluth a few times over the last couple months. And Mm -hmm. I always, you know, whether it's a a statewide race, a presidential race. I'm I'm mm-hmm. always kind of curious of the mood of Duluth. How would you kind of characterize the mood of Duluth in this uh, mayor's race? Oh, um, paying attention. I would say mm-hmm. the mood of Duluth is engaged, um, curious, and really paying close attention. That's that's actually what I would say. It's um, you know, there is so it's a wonderful race. For this community, to be honest, we are two very different candidates. Um, even though on certain levels or metrics we may look similar, we have, we have very different styles. We're different people, um, and so it's really a wonderful race for this community because there is content, there is distinction. I believe there's very clear differences. Obviously, we both feel we're the one best suited to move forward, and and I think we both trust as as uh, you know, leaders should, that the community will make the decision that they feel is the best one at that time in that moment with the variables they know and understand. And I have just been so impressed. I mean, you know, Duluth is like very pro-democracy. We love to vote. Yes. We love to be engaged. You can have a public meeting on like an infrastructure project and 200 people show up yep. and it's amazing. And that's that's what we're seeing. And I love it. As you think back to the first two terms as you think about obviously going through the pandemic uh like so many cities there's been struggles um Mm -hmm. what are you most proud of 
Oh, you know, I'm really proud of two things. That, well, I'm proud of so many things, honestly, Blois, but two things in particular. I am so proud of how me and this community, me as a mayor, this community as this just amazing group of people survived a pandemic together. To be honest, that was an unbelievable, unrelenting period of time where, you know, from the city vantage, you know, we have 850 employees. Uh, we have to provide services. We get to provide services to the whole community. And within weeks, you know, this city, my budget was cut by 40%, just like everybody else. Uh, you know, unemployment around the community was 35%. And here we are, like three years later, uh, very low unemployment, fourth record year of private investment. Um and, you know, an, an amazing resilience that we're seeing here. So I'm proud of that. And then streets, there's no question. Uh, when I came into office, we were doing two miles of road a year. I've increased that 850%. Uh, next year, we're doing 19 miles of road a year and, in, and incorporating along with that a very aggressive lead line uh, replacement program um, and addressing utilities. And so there is no question that from the daily experience that path and plan we're on is is a really important transformational one. When I come to Duluth and I visit, I think of kind of the, I don't know, new energy that's probably been growing yeah. for 20 years. I think about yeah. tourism. But when I think about when I was there as a kid, I think about jobs and industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there... Um, is there the right kind of job growth? Is there an opportunity to bring back kind of, you know, middle-class jobs where, mm -hmm. where you talk about, you know, private investment um, what, what's the status of kind of those, those jobs that I grew up watching in Duluth yeah. where you know, well, that's, uh, they're good union jobs. Oh, a hundred percent. That's the fun part about living here is that we are this really fascinating, important intersection of industry, manufacturing, tourism, healthcare, retail, you know, we're a regional center. We provide services, not just to 86,000 people, but to 35,000 daily commuters and millions of tourists. And so, yes, actually, I mean, this isn't the goal of the interview here, but we're actually doing this uh, good jobs, great cities project. We were selected from one, one of 15 cities who applied uh, out of 250 nationally to really look at a strategic uh, engagement around manufacturing. So it's it's awesome that you bring that up right here. Uh, we actually have a really robust industrial and manufacturing base. You know, we are the port, the most, you know, mm -hmm. inland port, the largest port by cargo on the Great Lakes. And so everything that goes into an industry like that are the kind of jobs you're talking about and the kind of jobs that people know Duluth to be about and, and our region. And we continue to do that. We continue to have that. Um, and we've got some important industrial expansions that, you know, they take a little while. They're getting announced in the next month or two. Uh, but they all feed back into that really powerful story of who we've been as a community. And and that narrative is actually who we continue to be, really hardworking, loyal people uh, who really value a hard day's work and taking care of each other. That's just, that's literally who Duluth is. My guest is Mayor Emily Larson. She's the mayor of Duluth. She's been the mayor for two terms. She's running for her third. Mayor Larson, when you talk, when you run into somebody who's frustrated or mm -hmm. isn't happy with your leadership, what are the mm -hmm. issues that they raise? Um, you know, it's really interesting. I think there's a general 
sense, and you can see this nationally, you can see it all over the place, we're still in this really active recovery phase from a pandemic and a lot of frustration around, I think, how we can have as much local action as possible because we feel so frustrated by what we see nationally and policies that come down nationally and global impacts like a pandemic. And so a lot of the frustrations get to be a very individual story. And this mm -hmm. is what we do see. You can see it on social media, you can see it everywhere. The complaint is less about, I need us to fix this for our community. It's, I need you to fix this on my block. And so some of, which I empathize with, I totally, oh man, there is so much that we wanna be fixing for one another. And so part of the conversation becomes, I see you and I hear you and let's talk about how to fix that for you. Because if you're experiencing that, how do we make that better for people on the next block or in the next neighborhood? Because actually making sure that that person is having that need addressed is equally important to you because strong neighborhoods is what keeps us all safer and, and healthier. So that's what I love about these conversations, to be honest. It's, it's a beautiful opportunity to say, man, do I so hear you, I feel you, I have that same frustration and experience as a mom, as a partner, as a neighborhood resident. And let's also apply that frustration to how we move on that issue moving forward. So, you know, you'll hear the the basic things people are, are concerned about. Um, but what was so interesting, Blois, I've been door knocking since January, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I love door knocking. We've done 7,000 doors. Um, <laughs> And the first, it was like in the middle of a snowstorm. And I thought, oh man, I, I went out in January and I was like, I know what I'm going to hear about. It's going to be weather and there's nothing I could do yeah. about it. And people are frustrated. The first thing this person said to me, my very first door this year, it was lead lines. It was parks and it was childcare. And she doesn't even have kids. She's worried about her neighbor. And gotcha. so that's what I mean. That's so awesome. People are like leaning into how can I help make the world a better place around me? When you think about those issues, childcare, yep. only so much a city can do, lead lines, obviously driven by the state, outside money, but the city, you know, can can match. Um, it brings me to this challenge that many cities are going to have, Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, where commercial property tax revenue is going to be a challenge. Um, there's probably going to be more burden on residential property owners. Uh, how do you kind of balance that? How do you attract different kinds of revenue to the city and or attract more people? Because, you know, it, it appears as though most of the growth in the Duluth metro area, I'll call it, has been in the adjacent uh, cities and towns, um, mm -hmm. kind of the suburbs of Duluth. OK, so there's a lot in your question. And um, I'm going to go back to the where you started because I actually I actually disagree. <laughs> Um, I think issues like leadline and childcare, there is a huge opportunity for local government. We chose $8 million. We prioritized $8 billion to pour into lead lines. And what's happening at the state right now is actually based on the Duluth model and the Duluth pilot program that we launched. Yeah. The investment is all based on us. So I think local government has to be leading and innovating in these spaces. For something like childcare, we've given, you know, low and no interest loans. We've changed our policies and zoning to make childcare easier and better. And I'm actually launching a task force in the, to, to increase the number of slots. The reason why I'm doing that is because we have to grow our economy. Our workers and employers need 
need reliable childcare. We need to keep women and mothers in the workplace. And that's absolute, and we need kids ready for schools. So that's absolutely the role of a local government. So I, I want to say that first. Um, yeah. And then as, and now that's how we grow, right? So we are in like many communities. We have, we're, we're really struggling with housing. Every single opportunity we have to bring housing online is what we have to do. You know, as, as you may or may not know, houses here, are, they're going fast. They're going sight yep. unseen. Um, that's how we grow. A lot of what you're seeing is housing that's springing up in the periphery. And so we have, I've created a, a Duluth Housing Trust Fund, $16 million in there. We invested $19 million directly in affordability. I created a housing development position with our economic development uh, division. So it is lit. We've changed zoning. We've done a whole bunch of different things. And I've brought on 1,700 new units in the last seven years, which is more that's been done in that same time period for three decades. So it's working, but now we get to pedal down and accelerate and get even more. So I think how we grow the population, how we expand the tax base is we pay attention to those things that aren't just, you know, somebody else's business. They're absolutely our business. And then lastly, I'll just say, you know, the, the movement on the state of local government aid, it was exceptional. My budget next year actually decreases people's property taxes. They aren't seeing an additional property tax burden because the state stepped in in a meaningful way for the first time in 20 years and recognized that by not increasing their share of local government aid, they were putting really painful pressure on property taxpayers. And so you know, I, I think it's important for me to either correct or set the narrative that you can, it is possible to pay attention to multiple things at once. Um, we have to be doing that. Uh, local government is where you have to be innovating. And th those are the places people want to live and grow and invest. Last kind of topic is on that, you know, attracting people. Um, yeah how you know it, housing is obviously a big part of it um mm -hmm. i i think of it in the, these terms and and um i wouldn't you know i've spent a lot of time in duluth so i i feel like yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're geographically challenged to build a ton of more housing oh we are so, yeah like yeah on one mm -hmm. side so how do you how do you look at finding new housing spaces in places yep. is it about massive redevelopment over a longer period of time yeah, no, that's a great question. I love this. So we've done two things. Um, we have made a very intentional infill housing uh, strategy. So looking at uh, sites that we can demolish, remove blight, we can incentivize. we've given away infills um, lots at low and no cost to developers to be able to activate and, and even do one, you know, small townhomes, duplexes, things like that. Yeah. Um, we have to be unrelenting on opportunities like a golf course, which I am proposing, and we're reviewing RFPs now to close one of our two, uh, which actually that decision's already been made, uh, one of two public golf courses, and expand our tax base, increase housing, add retail on that site. Um, we we have to be very unrelenting about making sure that we are considering the greatest good, how we expand a tax base, how we activate housing when we have every parcel, because you're exactly right. This is a very landlocked beautiful city, 30% of our land here is parkland. 30% of our land is untaxable, unbuildable. That's why people love to live here <laughs> because we're the only city in the country where everyone is 1,000 feet from a trail. 
it is amazing. And, and we have challenges because of that, but they're challenges that Duluth has a history of always leaning into and solving. And so, you know, those are some of the strategies we have. And then the downtown, uh, we just conducted a downtown housing study. Uh, we have the first of our office buildings moving to housing conversion that is underway now. Um, and we believe there's 2,200 units uh, available to be able to do that with downtown. And so it's also looking at density in the corridors where we already have the built environment. Mayor Emily Larson will be watching the race in this final stretch. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Have a great day. Thank you. When we come back, this week's Take. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to WCCO Radio. This week's Take is about this sense that I get from talking to people. but that came out in a Gallup poll this week. The Gallup poll says that third-party support is up to 63% in our country. It was 61% in 2017, 62% in 2021, and now 63% of Americans view that there is a need, not a want, but a need for a third political party. And typically this trend has been, depending on who's not in power or who's trying to get power. So for instance, when Bernie Sanders was there and he lost, then Democrats thought, oh, we need a third party. Or when Donald Trump is successful, Republicans believe we need a third party. But there's beginning to be a clear need after the dysfunction in D.C., the polarization in our communities, that both of these parties are not connected to the majority of the people. I try to think of this as to say, is this just a song we sing every few years? Or is there a real opportunity for a third party or a third voice, I will call it, a voice of everyday concerns for the majority of Minnesotans? I don't know. But if you are one of those 70% of independents who have said that we need a third party, if you are one of those 58% of Republicans who say we need a third party, if you are one of those 46% of Democrats who say we need a third party, speak up. My worry is that those independents are the ones who quietly go about their day. They don't play politics. They don't think about politics. They don't tweet. They don't caucus. They don't depend their lives on the battle and the cable news of politics. Instead, they raise their kids. They spend time in their church. They raise their grandkids, they hike, they walk, they travel, they golf, they run, they volunteer. They, they give with service and ideas, not with polarizing tweets and battles online. And the bubble that is both parties and talking to each other is one of the biggest challenges. 
Because if you keep talking to those who most think like you, you'll keep thinking you're always right. Or this idea that there's somehow an aggrieved population that is just such a small percentage while ignoring this 63%. So if you're one of that 63%, speak up, raise your voice, do it in a diplomatic way, but let the leaders know that you're out there because too often they only talk to those who agree with them, who only watch and listen to those who also agree with them. That's your message this Sunday. I'm Blois Solson. We'll be back next week on the Sunday Take. I'll be with Vanita every morning this week at 620. And you can always subscribe to our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. Until next week, that's Sunday Take. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 